0: Welcome to faith again. This is uh, the the second Sunday of Advent, and this year's theme is simply Jesus, the light of the world. Let's stand now, and and, and if you are able, let's listen to the the, the scripture reading. It's a a short passage from 2 Timothy 4. Uh, I thought it was a good passage for my last message, as well as an Advent theme. Uh, ESV translation is on the screen. This is Paul to Timothy. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Let's pray. Lord, teach us your word during these few moments. Convict us, encourage us, challenge us, whatever needs to happen in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Speak through this imperfect servant this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. May you be seated. Question. What difference can one person make? What difference can one person make? There's over 7 million people on this planet, millions of others throughout the course of, of history, each was born, lived a life, left their mark on their world, and then passed on. What difference can one person make? You know, the great game of American football is a game I love, as most of you know. <laughs> Someone has described football as 22 men desperately needing exercise, uh, a rest watched by 60,000 people desperately needing exercise. <laughs> and um, I've been a fan of football since the 60s when I was a kid. <laughs> it's a wonderful game. It's a violent game. As a youth, I played baseball. I ran track. I played on basketball teams. I played on all those teams, but I never played on a football team, basically because of somebody who's in the house today. <laughs> Your, your skinny, frail body is not going to play football. <laughs> Believe me, I had a skinny, frail body back then. Even though her husband was a football player in high, in high school. Medical science now knows about the dangers of football and the long-term effects that multiple concussions can do to the brain. Mom knew that, I guess, ahead of time. I don't know. You know, two years ago, there was an incredible football darkness in Baltimore. You know that? The Baltimore landscape was in despair. Great land, linebacker Ray Lewis had retired. The great Ozzie Newsom, the general manager who picked great players, he was retiring. There were even whispers at the great coach John Harbaugh that his job was, uh, was up for grabs because they weren't winning it as much anymore. And then they did a move. They made a move that changed everything. You know what they did? They got one person. They drafted an unorthodox quarterback from Louisville named... Lamar Jackson. And and now in two years, everybody's talking about football. Football is a team sport. But even in a team sport, we see proof that one person can make a difference. The gospel, which begins with the story of the birth of a baby in a manger, is an even greater illustration that one person can make a difference. Amen? The Gospel tells us that there was one man who was more than a man. He was, he is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Into the darkness of sin, the darkness of oppression, the darkness of injustice, the darkness of hatred, the darkness of hedonism, the darkness of satanic lies and myths, came a Savior who's the light of the world. <laughs> and his light has not been put out, has it? It shines in the hearts of all those people who simply faith, put their faith in him and recognize him as King of kings and Lord of lords. The good news we have for a dark world is that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And here's our big idea today. Despite the darkness of our world, our God reigns. So let's shine your lights. Let's shine that light. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. In 2 Timothy, uh, uh, Paul is addressing his, his son in the faith. In Philippians, he calls him, a, he said, Timothy, is a, as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. He was a son, but he became a partner with uh, with Paul in the gospel. In Second Timothy, Paul is about to be martyred. His life's over almost. This is his last letter. He's, been, he's in prison. Timothy is pastoring in Ephesus, that multi-ethnic uh, 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 city with a multi-ethnic congregation that modeled Antioch. Today we're going to look very briefly at five, these, first five, these five verses of the fourth chapter. And we'll talk about the Messiah in verses, verse one. It was Jesus the king who reigns. The king. We' talk about the mess, verses three and four, the dark, decaying, Christ-denying world in which we live and, and they lived even back then. And thirdly, the ministry, verses two and five. And that's the responsibility that we have to minister in the midst of a dark and decaying world. The Messiah, the mess? The ministry. First, the Messiah. Verse one. I charge you in the presence of God and Jesus and Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing in his kingdom, charge, it's a legal word to adjure, to solemnly beseech under oath. And Jesus described there in several ways as Messiah, judge, king, the one bringing a kingdom. His appearing in his kingdom, the kingdom of God. You know, in the Gospels it says the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the Gospels. The kingdom of God is here, Jesus said. In a conversation with Nicodemus, he says to this religious leader, you can't see or understand the kingdom unless you're born from above. Something mysterious about this kingdom. In a conversation with Pontius Pilate, uh, Jesus affirmed, he says, Yes, I am king, but my kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. Jesus Christ is king. He has a kingdom. We hear echoes of that great book of Re- song from the book of Revelation which has been modified, the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms, kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That's the great piece the Messiah, that classical musical piece that we hear so often during these days. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Messiah is a Hebrew word for Christos, which is a Greek word, okay? There's a little Greek for you, I don't know. But, but, but Messiah, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus Christ, Messiah. The good news of God is about the Messiah, Jesus That's the good news. It's not just about God in general. It's about Jesus the Messiah. Okay? Believe in him. If you haven't placed your faith in Jesus as Messiah, believe in him. This passage tells us that he has a kingdom and he's coming again. He's going to appear and that kingdom will be finished, will be inaugurated, (laughs) rather. Christ's work on the cross is the entryway into the kingdom. His work on the cross, where he died for sinners, is the entryway into the the kingdom. Our dark souls find light only in him. Jesus is that light. He's good news for a dark world. Now, some of you may not be fully convinced that our world is dark. We'll talk about next the mess. In verses 3 and 4, Paul speaks of the darkness. It's a a mess both out there, but it's also in here in the the church. (laughs) Look at what he says in verse 3 and 4. Time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is, a, this is about those who in the church who desire what I call feel-good preaching. You know what I'm talking about? Feel-good preaching, where, where all the preacher does is just make you feel good. I'm not against feeling good. But there's more to the job of preaching than making people feel good. Preaching must challenge. Preaching must convict. We call to do that, to exhort. I mean, look, look, the the basic assumption is this. God is holy. I am not. (laughs) And so as the messenger of God comes to us, he must... Say something that will help us understand that there's a wide gap between this holy God and, and us human sinful human beings, and that God calls us to follow Him to walk in a greater holiness each day. And that's gonna, and that's not easy. That involves uh, looking, staring at ourselves at the Word, and looking at ourselves, and seeing that we don't always match up. But some don't want that, they just want to be tickled, they want to have their emotions thrilled. Paul uses the phrases, they have itching ears. I hope that you have not gotten caught up into what I call the modern myth of inevitable progress. The modern myth of inevitable progress. You know, technology has certainly made life easier for all of us. <laughs> it's made life longer for all of us. However, let's not fool ourselves. Mankind has not solved the problems of hatred and violence and oppression and disunity The 20th century was the bloodiest century in human history. Don't forget it. Our problem is not with our heads. Our problem is in our hearts. We need Jesus Christ. Now, sadly, the world is not hearing the gospel from the church. A a, a Christian historian, Christian, Christian Smith, tells us that the world hears a message that he calls moralistic therapeutic deism. Let me break that down. Moralistic Therapeutic deism. Moralism, be good and God will bless you or prosper you. Moralism. Just be good. That's all, that's all he cares about. Be good and maybe God will prosper you. Therapeutic. Jesus only came to heal your emotional pains, not really to die for sins. We don't want to talk about sins. Deism. God is a big God, but he's not really concerned about the details. So it doesn't matter what you do or the details of your life. Deism. It's not God doesn't care about the details. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. Now, I'm not sure that that's what is being proclaimed in the pulpits of our nation, but that is what people are hearing in the pulpits of our nation, by and large. And so there's a mess. Now, we, if we'd had time, we'd look at uh, chapter 3, because in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul alludes, he's, he's alluding in chapter 4 to things he's already talked about in chapter 3. Just the first verse, couple verses there, he talks about in chapter 3, understand this that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Now, in the Bible, the New Testament, the last days is the Christian era. You got to understand? The Old Testament were the former days. Jesus came and now you have the last the last era is the last days. So he says in this Christian era times of difficulty will come, okay? And then he describes those days and he, as he it seems to talk about an escalation of the difficulty here and in in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy. Some of the things he lists, lovers of self, lovers of money, abusive, disobedient to parents, not loving good, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but, not having, but denying its power. He's talking about in the church, you see. He's talking about not just out there. He's talking about a, a, a type of religion that doesn't have gospel power. That's what he's talking about there, the disordered affections of, 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 wrong, of loves in the wrong direction. Abuse. We heard about, uh, was it Lyft or was it Uber the other day? The the, the accusations that, that surfaced. Abuse. It, it, be, be, let me just give a word of warning. Be careful with these ride services. Be careful. The, the mind. He talks about the mind in that passage. We are not time to look at that. Let me just talk about some applications here. About these, during difficult days. What, how, what do we do? Walk in confession. Walk as a person in confession. The mess is not just out there. The mess is in here, you see. (laughs) Walk with with an attitude of confession and humility. When you come to hear Pastor JB or anyone preach from the pulpit, don't just come expecting your ears to be tickled. Come expecting to hear from God. The God who loves you and and wants you to pursue holiness more than you do. Don't expect to hear your ears tickled. There. be part of the alternative community see the, the, this alternative community of God it, 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 he creates an alternative community in each generation and in this generation it's the same the model of that community is in Acts chapter 2 verses 42 to 47 we've reviewed that many times that, the community that, that says we, we will love each other we will serve each other we will worship Jesus Christ we will reach out to a, a, a dark world that's God's model that's God's will for all of us be part of a large worshiping body and a smaller worshiping body of people who you can do church with. People who know you and can hold you accountable. F- follow, I said, vo- follow the values of God's ultimate community. Uh, pr- pursue healthy marriages. Raise godly children. Be a community where everybody, singles, orphans, widows, can feel Christ's love. Continue to do that. Show compassion for all people the poor, the unborn, the discarded, the oppressed, the lonely. That's what it means to be God's light in a dark world. Philippians 2 says this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's the mess. That's the mess. God wants us to shine as lights in the middle of the mess of a world's darkness. That's the solution to the darkness. And so the last point I want to talk about is simply ministry. The ministry. Verses 2 and 5. Let me read these verses. Preach the word. I charge you, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And then verse 5, as for you, Paul says to Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is, the, in fact, the whole book of 2 Timothy, First and 2 Timothy, is primarily a challenge from Paul to Timothy. Okay? Timothy has a specific calling. As a pastor, teacher, shepherd over God's flock. There's a very important distinction I want to make right here between Timothy and those who have that specific, that, that specific calling to ministry and, and those who have a more general calling as people who are in the pews, which is most of you in the room. A, there, there are applications for us all. But first of all, Paul talks specifically to, to his son in the faith, Timothy. But the, application, the, 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 the applications are the same. <laughs> we have good news for a dark world. We're the minister to a dark world, and we fill that ministry in two ways. And he, he, He's doing it here. He also, back in chapter 3, you can see these. We'll look at the little bit of chapter 3. First thing is by being a disciple, being one who is a disciple and who disciples others, living for Christ, following Him, having a passion for Him. And, and, and then that, that, that's, that's our own personal obedience to God's word, helping, having people in our lives and helping us do that. And secondly, making disciples, the Great Commission, make disciples, helping others to follow Christ with passion and with love by proclaiming his word to others. So one is with our, our life, the other is with our lips. First, uh, being a disciple. Uh, now, again, Timothy in, in chapter 3, in chapter 1 and chapter 3, Paul noted the mentors in Timothy's life. If you have a Bible, glance back at that. In fact, in in Acts chapter 16, we learn about Timothy, that his dad was an unbeliever. He was was a Greek. But there were brothers in the church at Lystra uh, who helped shape and encourage his faith. Okay? Acts 16, 1 and 2. He's spoken of well by the brothers at Lystra. We learn from 2 Timothy chapter 1 that his mother... And his grandmother were very influential in his life. Lois, his grandmother Lois, his mother Eunice. And then we learn from chapter 3 that Paul himself was quite influential. Paul reminds him of the things from the book of Acts that, that, that Timothy knew in verse 10 and following. Paul says, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch and other cities. So, so the brothers, grandma and ma, Paul, these were mentors for him. These were people, examples to Timothy. And so he says, he says, as for you, continue in what you have learned, chapter 3, verse 14, and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, how from a childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Let me share a little bit about some of my mentors, if I can be personal here for just a second. During this season, I've done a lot of reflection on my ministry over the years, and I can't help but thank God for those in my life that God has used. Uh, like Timothy, I had women who, who shaped me, my mother, of course, my sisters, grandmothers, aunts, teachers, who will always be part of who I am. Well, most, I think I might have shared before that uh, the, the day I became a believer of Jesus Christ a cold January day in 1966, the encouragement to do that came from my Sunday school teacher. Her name was Ella Thomas. It was a woman, Ella Thomas, encouraged the whole class, particularly me. She, she called me out. <laughs> you, long, you, ain't, you, haven't, you haven't become a Christian yet? Uh, it was a woman who did that. Um, very influential. I'll never forget her. Um, and like Timothy, I had men who shaped my life. Again, reflecting on 43 years of being in full-time ministry for me. And I realized more and more that, I, like Timothy, I'm the product of others. I'm the byproduct of others that God has used. I'll, I'll list five of them. One is a man named Dave English. Dave, uh, these are the first two of my university leaders when I was a student. Dave English and Tom Balma. Dave English was, uh, what, what, he, he helped me understand the nature of God. He gave me a big God theology is what we call it. <laughs> he would come to Frostburg and do these workshops on how to reach the, the, how to reach the campus, how to do evangelism. But what he was really doing was helping us with our theology. Some of you know Dave Innes. I see smiles on Mike's face and on Anne face. <laughs> Dave, a big God theology. The second person is Tom Belma, who was m- the last two years, he was my university campus leader. And he was the first person to say, have you ever considered giving your life full time to ministry? I had never thought about it until my senior year. Tom Balma, he, he and his wife went to serve the Lord as and, and missionaries in Italy. And they're now back in, in Colorado. And then two pastors, men who were pastors of mine. One was Walter Mangus from Forest Park. Chapmans know him, of course. Uh, um, he, he, saw, he saw pastoral gifts in me before I did, to be frank. Um, his message was very simple to us. Love your wife and keep your family your first priority and love Jesus. And that that was his message over and over and over again. He's now with the Lord. His wife's in Pennsylvania. And then the other pastor, someone who was an associate pastor uh, at Forest Park for a while, but someone who I knew before that is Carl Ellis, who many of us know. Carl Ellis has been here many times. Carl was, actually, when I started with InterVarsity at Morgan State, which way is Morgan? That way, right? (laughs) Carl was at seminary at Westminster, and he came down once a month to help me. In the late 70s, before, before anybody knew who Carl Ellis was, I knew who Carl Ellis was. <laughs> and for, for, he's now a PCA pastor. We've been together for years. He's a, been a mentor uh, and still is in his, his ministry. Uh, he helped For me, he helped me understand um, my theology in the context of my own blackness. That was important. But the last person, of course, is my dad, who's passed away years ago. I previously shared, a, a, when I was at seminary, my dad, my um, and mom and dad came, and um, a conversation I had with him was, is unforgettable. Unforb- he said, um, um, it's it basically when I got his fatherly blessing. And that's important, guys. <laughs> Have your father bless you. <laughs> he said, uh, so you're in ministry, you're in the seminary, and you're going to be a pastor. <laughs> he said, uh, that, he said uh, I'm proud of you. He says, I, I didn't think you were going that route. In fact, he's, I remember he said, uh, I thought you were going to play baseball. But you could never hit that curveball, could you? <laughs> I'll never forget that. And then he said two things that I'll never forget. One, don't be a lazy pastor. Don't be one of these pastors that, that, that puts it together on Saturday and doesn't do anything and preaches and doesn't do anything else. Love your people. Shepherd your people. Work hard as a pastor. Don't be a lazy pastor. The other thing was love your wife and keep your family first, head of the ministry. My dad was a deacon of the church, and uh, so he knew that from, from all kinds of perspectives. But those are, that was advice that, as you can tell, I will carry with me for the rest of my life. Mentors, we all need mentors. All God's children are called to minister and serve, but we all need people to, who are mentors, who help us do that well. Who are the people in your life who help you do that well? To help you serve God and, 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 and understand who you are. Let me move on, because the other part of the ministry it's not just the heart, discipleship. It's what you say. It's a skill. It's the words you speak, your lips, making disciples, giving, offering the gospel to other people. And so he says specifically two things. Teach the word, chapter 3, verse 14 to 17. Word of God. It's God-breathed. It's alive and powerful. It's profitable for salvation, for instruction, for life transformation. And then in, verse, in our text here, verses 1 and 2, preach the word. Teach the word and preach the word. The main diet of preaching must be expository preaching. What is that? Preaching that says, this is what the text says. This is what it seems to be saying in its context. And now here's how we apply it. This is what God is saying through his word. So much of preaching is is not expository. It is, here's what I think I want to say. Now, let me find a Bible verse to support it. No, 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 no. We come with a blank slate to the scripture and say, what has God said in his word? And how does that apply to us? Preach the word. Don't just preach your opinions, he says. Preach the word. Yes, there's times to share it, but you don't just share it. You preach it. Don't just illustrate it. There's times to illustrate it, but preach it. Don't just argue about it. Preach it. Don't just write or blog or tweet about it. you got to preach it in front of people. Don't just discuss it. It's time to do that. He says, Timothy, preach it. Proclaim it. Don't, don't just dramatize it. And there's a place to do that. There's a time and place to, dra- to do drama. Preach the word. The, sower, the parable of the sower. And he says, do it in season and out of season, verse 2. That means when you feel like it and when you don't feel like it, when it's popular and when it's not popular, preach the word. Dropping down to verse 5, be sober-minded, be serious about this task. Endure suffering, there's going to be suffering involved in it. Do the work of an evangelist. Remember that there are people who need Jesus Christ in our world. Fulfill your ministry. Finish. Fulfill that ministry. A call to long-term faithfulness. The ministry is influencing people towards the light, who is Jesus Christ. God may be calling some of you to be ministers of the gospel. I don't know. Young people. Maybe old people in your retirement. People live longer now. Amen? will preach to the next generation? Who will, like Isaiah, say, here am I, send me. Who will see the needs of a lost city, a lost nation, a lost world, and not be able to rest until they become part of God's solution? Who will do the work of an evangelist in a world that rejects biblical faith as narrow, outdated, and often irrelevant. Jesus said in Matthew, this gospel of the kingdom must be preached to the world. And then the end will come. Matthew 24. Who who are the Timothys in your life? Who who are the Timothys? Who who are you trying to influence for Christ and trying to explain the gospel so they can become communicators and influencers of others? One person can make a difference. One person can make a difference. Last week, I had the privilege of attending a Ravens watch party. A couple of y'all were there. Who was there? Okay, some of you there. I experienced firsthand the great enthusiasm of Ravens fans. It's nothing like being in the room. <laughs> the last play. Justin Tucker, in the cold rain and wind of South Baltimore, kicked a long, difficult, game-winning field goal to again give the Ravens the victory. And high fives went all around the room when the ball went through the goal. Even I, in my burgundy sweater, got a few high fives. And gave a few high fives. <laughs> Justin Tucker, what a kicker. One person, one person can make a difference. When the one person, the, one, the right woman or the right man, is the right person, it dramatically turns hopelessness into confidence, darkness into despair. Losers into winners. And when that happens, even onlookers can't help but get caught up in the moment and feel the blessing and the joy. The old guy Luther said this. Not Luther Vandross or Martin Luther King. Martin Luther, the reformer. A lot Luther's in your mind. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper, he amid the floods of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe seeks to work us woe. Well. His craft and his power are great, and he's armed with cruel hate, and on earth is not his equal. That verse is talking about the devil. Did we, in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing, We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is He. Lord Sabaoth, Lord of the armies, Lord Sabaoth, His name from age to age the same, and He must win the battle. Though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. For God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word from Jesus will fell him. That word... Above all earthly powers, no thanks to him abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours. Through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindreds go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abides still. Why? His kingdom is forever. Forever. Faith Christian Fellowship. Serve you're king by shining your light. Let's pray. Lord, you have loved us with an everlasting love in Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Help us to really believe that. And to really live life that looks like we believe that. Lord, I pray for this congregation. Lord, that we would be a people continue to be faithful to you. Lord, of pray for Pastor J.B., Lord, as he continues to, to serve here. Give him great joy. Give him great fruitfulness as he serves this body and this community. Lord, I pray for anyone here who is uh, just hesitant about following you. Lord, that they would know that the salvation is very simple. It's getting on board with the king because he is victorious. It's by faith, confessing sin. And believing in what, that what he's done on the cross solves our sin problem. Lord, do that work in our hearts for those who need it. And those of us who, who are following you now, help us to know that we are not insignificant. That we can be that little, that little one person in our sphere to make a big difference in our sphere. In Jesus' name, amen.